Enjoying these episodes? Give us a shout out on social at Built On Air. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions. So drop us a like and be sure to subscribe to catch new episodes when they release. It helps us keep the podcast going. Welcome to Built on Air, a podcast and video series about all things Airtable. In this episode, we're joined by cultural advocate, author, and operations specialist, Paul Matsushima. We begin with the discussion about his background in nonprofit work, helping establish and expand Japanese-American cultural programs in the LA region, led him to co-authoring a children's book and creating a youth summer camp. We then discuss how his role as an operations specialist led him to use Airtable to quickly organize and automate reporting processes with the aid of Zapier to integrate with other productivity apps. Paul showcases two bases for us, the first being a ledger to track annual financial transactions, and the second being a CRM to track contracts, campaigns, and communications. We get a deep dive in both bases, both of which are available for public use on the Airtable universe. Good evening. Hi. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. I think this is the first time in a while that I've had a fellow Angelino as my guest. I'm from Los Angeles. Are you from Los Angeles or are you just currently in Los Angeles? Yeah, I was born and raised in LA. I, I currently live in Gardena, which is 15 to 20 minutes south of downtown LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in the South Bay and I call a lot of the area LA. So people just, they just understand. Very cool. <laughs> so you have done quite a bit, anything from cultural advocacy to writing a children's book. And I kind of want to talk about each of those facets of your life and how you've gotten to where you are now. Sure. I am a little bit curious about the children's book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely talk about that first. I, I think to help your, your audience understand a little bit about the children's book. I'd like to provide a little cultural context, historical context, if you will. So the book is called Thank You Very Mochi, and it stemmed from an organization I was working at at my previous job. So the organization was a small startup nonprofit in Los Angeles's Little Tokyo neighborhood, which Little Tokyo is one of the few historic Japan towns left in America in the United States. And our nonprofit, basically our mission was to build up a pipeline of future leaders in the Japanese American community. And the reason that my ethnic community, the Japanese American community requires future leaders, it's a little bit complicated, but basically Japanese people have been in America for since the late 1800s. There are many waves of immigration from Japan and families like mine who came here. I think my grandparents immigrated, my great grandparents, I should say, immigrated to America in 1906. Um, So that means I'm fourth generation. My kids are fifth generation Japanese American. And, uh, you know, our community has been in America for quite a long time. We've established deep roots and we've built up quite a bit, a community full of everything from small businesses, social clubs, churches, community-based organizations, right? And the reason I'm telling you all this is because I want to paint a picture of sort of the communal infrastructure that, that our ethnic community has built here, right? We have everything from like sports leagues to allow a more balanced playing field that are full of like Asians and Japanese people. We have everything from like Japanese grocery stores and restaurants to fit our eating palates for comfort food. We have everything from Japanese doctors, dentists, optometrists, right? Barbers that we frequent and get sort of the friend and family discount. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because 
my parents' generation, they had a lot in common. They lived in similar geographic neighborhoods. They went to the same high schools. You know, they did all these social clubs together. But for my generation, we're sort of all spread out. People move away from college, don't move home. And people aren't always taught the value of their ethnic communities, right? So we can no longer assume that this community and the communal infrastructure that's there will continue to be there. And so for my generation, we sort of had to work for it if we want these community institutions to remain. And so that means engaging a new generation of young people, training up leaders, teaching them the value of their sort of like where they come from, their cultural identities, and then passing on that, that idea of preserving that for the future generations. So that's sort of, you know, to make a long story short, that's sort of what the mission of this nonprofit was. So we engaged Japanese American youth in leadership programs to teach them the importance of their culture, their identity, their ethnic heritage, right? And so uh, one of the things that I did was I ran a network of summer camps where we taught little kids, both elementary and middle schoolers, all about their culture and their history. And that's where this book, Thank You Very Much, Mochi, was born out of. And so the book is basically about, if you're not familiar, mochi is, is pounded rice cake. So essentially the old fashioned way of making mochi is you get this giant stone bowl and you put the rice in the stone bowl and you get these giant wooden mallets. And then there are four or five people hit the rice with these giant mallets and it turns into this molded pounded rice cake. And that's what mochi is. And the, the event or the tradition of that is called mochitsuki. So a lot of Japanese families here in America still celebrate this every New Year's. So the book is sort of the story of a, a young girl who every New Year's goes to her grandparents' house and makes mochi through a machine, essentially like a, a fancy rice cooker. And this, this time that they go, the rice cooker breaks down. So they have to pull out the wooden mallets in this, the stone bowl and make everything from scratch. And it's the, grandpa, the grandpa's way of teaching the little girl sort of, you know, the, the traditional way of making mochi. And that's kind of how the book was <laughs> a little bit about the book. Yeah. So that to me sounds like you have obviously this skill set and this experience in talking about and teaching about the cultural background and different aspects of history and all of that, but translating it in the form of a narrative that kind of exists as a standalone book. What was that like? Was that the first thing you had ever written in uh, terms of like a book? Yeah, for myself. Um, so I, I didn't write it by myself. I should give credit to my co-authors. Well, sure. Two of my, <laughs> the former staffers of the organization. But this was our, the organization's first attempt at writing a book like this. And, you know, our organization, we provided leadership programs and um, like in-person programs for kids and youth of all ages to learn. And so the book was our attempt to expand our mission just outside the Los Angeles and Orange County areas where we worked with students because, you know, anyone could buy a book on Amazon, right? But other than that, I've, I've written, I've written other, I don't know, like most people blog nowadays, but I do a fair bit of writing for my uh, religious and spiritual background. And I could talk about that a little bit later in my, my day job where I work at Fuller Graduate Schools. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of age ranges do you say that you typically work with? 
Yeah. So my bread and butter was really elementary and middle schoolers. So we started at ages seven all the way to middle school. And one of my, what I did at my previous job was I created a summer camp, uh, a summer day camp, I should say. It was week long for those age groups, elementary and middle school. And when I started at the job, we had created the day camp in one geographic area in the Gardena area here in Los Angeles. And it was such a hit that we decided to franchise the program an additional year. And so we, you know, the next year we started it, we, we kept it going in Gardena and then we expanded it down to Orange County and it was a hit in Orange County as well. And then uh, every year we kept franchising it actually. And so we ended up creating the program in multiple locations, I think about eight different geographic locations throughout the LA and Orange County areas. And currently, I no longer work there, but at this point, it serves about five, over 500 youth staffs, over 100 staff and volunteers with, you know, about a dozen camp directors. And so that, that program really taught me the value of like operations and creating systems and really franchising something because you need sort of like a well-oiled machine in order to make something like that possible. Yeah. I imagine so, especially as, as a nonprofit where the requirements to your day-to-day operations and the types of things that you have to keep track of are a little bit different than if you were a for-profit venture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I'm almost obligated to ask because this is recorded in 2020. <laughs> So many of these programs were in-person kind of summer camps. Obviously, this is winter, if, if you couldn't tell by your, your sweatshirt there. <laughs> Had you seen any kind of refocusing that your current organization or even your past organizations, if you, had to, if you happen to know, any kind of adjustments that you had to make in order to still provide these really important, nice cultural programs for youth that can't really go there in person anymore? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the challenges. These programs, I mean, for we, we started them in about 2011, and they're still going. And from 2011, you know, was, everything was in person. And that was really one of the key sticking points for the kids is just the type of community that is built at these programs, right? Because a lot of the kids, they either are spread out And so they're not around other Japanese or Asian American individuals. And so our programs allowed a space for people to really connect and be with others who are of a similar ethnic cultural background and also had just similar like life experiences growing up. And so it was difficult when we had to transition to all all virtual, right? Because yeah, like, again, the community, the relationships that the kids built amongst one another, it's like, they're going to be friends for the rest of their lives, essentially. So this summer, I was, they they did a virtual summer camp. And also, we, we have programs for other, you know, high school, college students as well. But the virtual program, it's, it's almost like you have to transition to become a content creator, rather than like, an in-person like bonding with kids and building those relationships, right? Because the kids, like my son, he's five and he's he's in the LAUSD school district and he just kind of sits there and watches the teacher teach, right? And there's there's some interaction, but it's difficult because you can't 
you can't just shout out answers. You can't like whisper to your friends and build those relationships. So we saw the the need to become like content creators where we're basically putting on a show rather than doing much more like interaction and like we could do like game, you know, icebreaker games, that sort of stuff. So th those were some of the, the big challenges that we saw. Yeah. Sure. So in terms of what you do more now, which is looking at things from an operational perspective, what led you to use tools like Airtable in your kind of day-to-day -day business? Yeah, so what I do now is I work at Fuller Graduate Schools, which is also commonly called Fuller Theological Seminary. I'm the director of operations at one of the research centers at the school. And so in my role, you know, it's, it's really about building operational and organizational infrastructure needed to help our organization be efficient and productive. So it's all about creating systems, processes, workflows to really streamline and sometimes automate our work. I have to do this in areas of like bookkeeping and financial reporting, tracking our payments, project and personnel management, you know, donor and client databases, email marketing, everything of that nature. So in my role, I've really had to lean into the operational, I mean, that's my job, but I've had to lean into the, a lot of the software out there. So Airtable was one of the key ones for me. And, and the reason my role, like, especially I'm going to talk a little bit about the financial um, Airtable base that I built in a, in a little bit, but the reason I had to use something like Airtable instead of like uh, QuickBooks to help us manage is because we're a department within a larger institution, right? And so we can't, we, we don't have full control over our own bank accounts because all, all financial transactions are basically go through the office of financial finance and accounting and accounting, right? And they process all the checks and then they send us a monthly or, you know, bi-monthly report, right? So we can't directly hook up our bank accounts to, to like QuickBooks or some, some other software like that. So it really, uh, you know, we have to work within the constraints of the larger institution um, and really <laughs> kind of problem solve because we don't have that same freedom as a small business might have. Makes sense. Part of the joys of using something like QuickBooks is that it's so specialized in doing one thing really, really well. Mm -hmm. But then the problem is that you have to have a certain setup that's conducive to the way that QuickBooks is designed to work. So um, we've talked about it a little bit on the show before, the advantages of using what I would call a generalist app like Airtable, being able to kind of build your own system up based on your very specific needs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, do you want to show us? Yeah, definitely. Great. Okay. So I guess I'll start off with the, since I mentioned it already, I'll start off with the financial ledger. So this is the scrubbed version. This one is on the Airtable universe. And there are five types of tables. There are transactions, which are the individual monetary transactions like purchases, payments, deposits. There are contacts. So these are the people either who are spending money or giving money to us. There are expense codes. So these are basically like individual light items like groceries, you know, fast food, coffee, right? Things like that. There are fund orgs. So these are essentially a pot of money, right? So like it might be your bank account 
through Bank of America, bank, bank account number two through Chase Bank. And then the final one is, uh, I call them the grants because our organization works a lot with grant deliverables, grant foundations. And so we have a lot of deliverables and we have to track these different from what the expense codes would be tracked. So the grants are kind of like tags. So like if you use a software like mint.com, you know, there's, there's both the expense codes and then there are tags. So this, this is just another way to, I guess, name uh, certain line items or transactions. So in terms of transactions, what I do, my process is one of my direct reports, she is the one who inputs all transactions. So she would, you know, input the pot of money or the fund org that a transaction goes into, what the expense code is, what the amount is. So negative is, you know, a debit and then a positive is a credit. The date uh, she has su submitted it, the description, you can put the contact, the stage. So stage is like where in the process of submitting this information is it? And then I go in and then I review the transactions. And then I basically, uh, this has a filter. So if I, if I list it as like, I reviewed it by the supervisor, then that thing would disappear and it would go into all transactions. And then, so yeah, that's, that's the basic inputting for transactions. So you input all the information there. And then this, this information is the main information. And then from this, these transactions, you could pull different reports. So I've built in some reports. So you can see at a glance, my direct supervisors always want a report of how we're doing in terms of how many donations we've received, how many grants we've received, as well as how much product income, because we sell, you know, we, we earn revenue through products as well. So at any given time, you can see like what types of gifts we've received, who's given the amount and then the date and then which pot of money or which fund org it belongs to, how many grants. And these are all fake names, fictitious names like Bart Simpson, <laughs> my Adidas, what type of income has been given as well. And then we're, our organization also receives royalties from some books as well. So that's one type of report you can do. In expense codes, you can see at a glance all the funds. So you could, like we have a general fund, you could see the budget, what, what the budget is for each fiscal year. You could see the actuals, how much you've actually spent, and then the variance. And then, you know, like grant budget number two would be grant one, and then budget number, there's, there's additional budgets you could have. And then you could see each one individually. So like if you only wanted to see general fund, you could see the general fund budget, the actuals, and then the variance between the two. I've broken down the expense codes by income. So we have like gifts, grants, miscellaneous income, royalties, project expenses. So these are things like general supplies, dues and subscriptions, consultants and contractors, and then salary expenses as well, and then the benefits. Another report is a PL report, which is an income statement. So at a glance, you could see like how much have we budgeted for unrestricted gifts? And then what is the actual amount we have received? And then what is the variance between the two? And then let's see what else. In the fund orgs, so you could see a summary and then a description of each fund org. So this is the general fund, right? This might be the grant number one fund. This is for our grant, which runs from fiscal year 20 to 25. And then you could see how much income we've actually received, how much expenses we've actually made, and then how much cash is available, and then which transactions and grant deliverable line items are, are connected to each. 
Another helpful report is the cash on hand, which really shows how much money do you have in each fund org at any given time, right? And the cash available is, and we'll say, oh, this one has negative $3,000, uh-oh, but this one has a positive, right? So it shows a, a, a good, and then in the grants, it has a monthly breakdown. So you can see what is budgeted for the entire fiscal year and then how much we have, you know, spent, uh, what, what is the real number of both ex expenses and income in July and August and September, et cetera, et cetera. So across all of your tables, you're using filters on various different views mm -hmm. and also grouping by either a linked field or sometimes a single select field. Mm -hmm. For the table we're currently looking at grants, you have, I would assume, one roll up per month of the year. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you update at the end of the year to switch from say July, 2020 to July, 2021? Yeah, so what I would do at the end of the fiscal year, which for us is in June, um, uh -huh. at the end of June, I would basically empty out all all of these fund orgs, right? So I would I would basically just transfer all the money. I, I, sorry, before I do that, I would duplicate this base for the next fiscal year, and then I would empty out all the money here, and then transfer it into, you know, the since we're in fiscal year twenty one right now, I would transfer it into fiscal year twenty two, um, so that at the end this cash available should say zero for every single fund org, and then okay. Uh, yeah, so that's that's how I would do it. So you would archive the whole base, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. So this would only be a one-year base. Yeah, good question. Okay. Do you find that it it's just easier for you that way to just work in one fiscal year at a time? You've never needed to like look at old records. Yeah, I I occasionally will look at old records, but it's kind of rare. And and I found that Airtable for this in particular is much. I used to do this on a Google spreadsheet. But Airtable's filters and views and, you know, all those things are just so much better. And the ability to click into individual contacts and see, like, for instance, what are the transactions linked with each one has, has just made this much more powerful. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah. And now that I think about it, it does make sense to just archive an old fiscal year and work on information that only pertains to now. Great. So how long have you been using this system? I've actually only been using it since uh, about June of this year. So about half a year. Yeah. Because previously, um, you know, I used Google Spreadsheets and it did the job, but it was kind of messy at the end of the year. So transferring over to this, it's made my life a whole lot easier. And I like how the, the reports that I showed you are basically updated in real time whenever transactions are entered. And so, you know, I, I just send that report over to my bosses and at any given time they could check the link and the, they'll have a live update of, of like how much money we have in the bank or how much we've spent for a given month. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do you use any of the apps to like maybe make a chart out of this data or do you typically just find yourself needing the grid view sort of layout? Yeah. For now, I mainly use the grid view. I haven't experimented too much with the charts or the other apps that are out there. If we have time to talk about the CRM I built, I, I, I use other views than just the grid view, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I do believe we will have time. Okay. But, uh, before we switch <laughs> over, one last thing. So with using this system, you were saying that you could just easily hand off a report to any of your coworkers or supervisors. How many people use this base on a day-to-day? I know someone puts in the transactions. Mm-hmm. Is it more like one or two people use it every day and, and then maybe once a week you guys all check in? Yeah, I would say two of us use it almost on a daily basis. So the person I supervise is the one who inputs all of the transactions into this. And then I'm the one who, who reviews everything. And then my two bosses are the ones who check this probably on a weekly basis just to make sure where we're at in terms of our finances. Yeah. yeah. I like to ask about how teams use Airtable and seeing if if there's if there was any kind of like stumbling blocks in getting each member of the team to know where to look for the right thing. Has it been like a smooth transition in the past six months you've used it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, I, I think every everyone is pleased with it. I, I think it's made our lives just, you know, the air airtable interface, user interface is just so much cleaner. To look at and prettier to look at as well. I think it makes the information uh, much more easily easy to to view. Yeah, I would agree. So let's take a look at the CRM now. Okay, great. So one of the first things I did actually was I created what's called a data integration strategy, and this was recommended to me through Salesforce because I, I use Salesforce before uh, using Airtable for our CRM. But essentially, a, a data integration strategy is where you, you think about all the, the, da- the data that comes into your organization, whether it's financial transactions, emails through a newsletter, uh, you know, followers on, on social media, comments on your WordPress blogs, right? Any piece of data that flows in and out of your organization. And you think, what information do I need to capture? What platform should that information be stored on? And then how can the platforms interact with one another so that it automates things so that you're not having to manually update everything. So for instance, with the financial, you know, the transactions that I just showed you with that, that Airtable base, what's not on here is I, I created a Zapier integration where anytime a transaction that is listed as a gift or a grant or a product income, that information automatically gets imported into the CRM database and then once it's imported into the CRM database, then it, it automates over to MailChimp and it, it tags the person in MailChimp as a, as a purchaser or a customer, I should say. So that was helpful to me to create that data integration strategy because it gives, it gives us a robust picture of all the data that's flowing in and out of our organization and what we need to capture. And so for the CRM that I built on Airtable, you know, some of the pieces of information that we capture is one is campaigns and campaigns are essentially anything from events, programs, projects, product sales, or donation drives that we do. Accounts are households or organizations. Contacts are the individuals within the households or organizations. Opportunities are basically payments or donations. Involvements are individuals who are involved with the campaigns and who are also linked to our contacts. And then our communications log are essentially like interactions. So they are like emails that we receive, phone calls we receive, comments on our WordPress or on our website. Yeah. So the campaigns are, you know, the sort of the biggest piece of information that we have. 
and I all, all the opportunities and the involvements are linked to any individual campaign. So one example of a campaign is we might have a masterclass for say, for instance, we, we do a masterclass for MailChimp, right? How to teach people how to, how to do MailChimp. So people sign up for that. The opportunities would be listed here as, you know, a product income for that a purchase person purchased and then connected to that is their, also their, um, their involvement and connected to the involvement is the connected opportunity. So we can see both the person who, cause, cause you know, sometimes a, like a, for instance, a parent might pay for the class, but then the kid is the one who actually attends the class, right? Sure. So that's why we have two, two different opportunities and involvements. In the campaign, on the campaign table, uh, I've, I've listed both active campaigns as well as campaign reports. So the campaign report would just show a, a quick glimpse as to like, if it's, if the campaign is in progress, what the end date is in progress versus completed versus aborted versus, you know, deferred, right? The end dates, how many, so the involved, the involvements, I, I broke them out uh, because involvements could be anything from like a participant, a facilitator, a staff member, a volunteer. So I listed out how many participants are in any given campaign and then versus how many others. So that would include like a staff member or a volunteer, right? And then how many opportunities are listed as well. And then what is the total amount of opportunities in any given campaign? Um, accounts are pretty self-explanatory. They're just the householder in the, uh, households or organizations. And that just includes like contact information as well as, you know, like any information about the individual organization or household. Contacts are also pretty self-explanatory as well. It's just contact information. I have like race and ethnicity, gender, their age, their work or profession, the involvements that are linked, um, the number of involvements, and then opportunities, number of opportunities, and then the total given, and then any communications that are connected to that contact. And then I also have a do not contact as well. So say for instance, a person gives us a bad review or for some reason is, is frustrated at us, we, we have a thumbs down to, to, so we would know do not contact that person. In opportunities, this lists everything, I'll go to all opportunities. So I sorted it by groups and, and it is grouped by campaign and it has everything from you know, the person involved, what the amount is, the date that they made the opportunity, uh, whether it's posted, so it could be not yet begun, prospecting, pledged, posted, declined, the type. So whether it could be like a gift, a grant, product income, royalty. And then because we are a nonprofit organization, we, list, we work with donors. So we have a thank you status. So was this person thanked, to be thanked, do not thank, or does not need to be thanked? And then what is the date of thanking them? Let's see, uh, another helpful view is I did newest, meaning we need to process it. So it is sorted by when the individual opportunity was created. And, and these are usually created through our Zapier connection with our financial Airtable base. And so I can go in and sort by, you know, the newest created, and then I can update them with the particular information that needs to be updated. And then I also have another view called to do thank you. So these are all like, say for instance, we get a bunch of donations. These would list all the individuals that need to be still be thanked in our pipeline. And then once the person, once we send an acknowledgement letter to those individuals, we would list this as thanks and then we will put the date 
say for say today, right? That is today is the twenty second, and then it would go down to thanks. Um, let's see, these are pledged accounts. Actually, I'm not going to talk about that one. And then we also have a, a report. So this would show a, a high level view of like how much money we have received by campaign, essentially, and all the individuals within that that campaign um, involvements. Let's see, I did the same thing where I sorted it by newest so I can know when to process these and update them when needed. So if, say this one, for instance, doesn't have a contact, so I'll link it to someone. I also have a, a view called leads. So these are all the individuals who have, maybe they signed up for an event or a webinar or something, but they haven't quite confirmed their participation. So these would be people that I would need to follow up with. And, and, and confirm their participation in uh, the different campaigns we have. And then the email reports, I just created this. So it's, it's basically like if I ever need to mass email or, or email individually people who are signed up for our, our campaigns, I could easily just copy and paste their information and then you know, send them emails. And then our communications log is connected to several people in our organization's um, Gmail accounts. And so they just, in their Gmails, if they have certain emails that they want to save to our database. They just, you know, categorize, I, I believe it's, um, you, you just tag it in Gmail and then Zapier does an automated thing and then it appears here. So we, we save like the type, usually the title of the email, what is it about, uh, what, what type of, of interaction is it, right? Whether it's an email, phone call, social media, text or WordPress, what are the comments? Is it a positive or negative view? And then who is the person connected to it? And if it's connected to any particular involvements or, or opportunities. And then we, we just have a couple of views for positive reviews as well as negatives. And then again, these negative reviews are connected to the person, right? Do not contact. So it just give us a sense of like, like be careful when you're interacting with these people because you might not want to contact them. I have a question about the communications log. Sure. Um, if you have a lot of this coming in automatically through Zapier, mm -hmm. how much of the remaining fields, if there are any remaining fields, do you go back in and fill in yourself? Yeah, so this this part, we, we probably log maybe like 10 to 15 emails per day. So it's not a ton, it's not like thousands or anything like that. So uh, we usually have someone go in at the end of the week and, and just attach because Gmail isn't the best at connecting contacts because if the person doesn't have their, their name uh, associated with their email, then um, this field is usually left blank. And so this one is, yeah, the per that's a good question though. That, this, that person would manually have to go in about once a week and update all their names. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned before, I used, I used to use Salesforce to log all this information, but we just found that Salesforce was way too cumbersome for the amount of information we were collecting. And Airtable was just a much more user-friendly, especially the onboarding process for others in our organization to adopt Airtable or to adopt our database in general. I found that Airtable was much easier and much more user-friendly for individuals and cheaper, um, I should say as well. Than, than something like Salesforce. Sure, and it has the kind of added benefit of Airtable has its own in-house automations that are available, but it also has some pretty useful adaptability for using Zapier or Integramat or Parabola, Parabola I think is another one that 
allow you to transfer information back and forth between um, other services like Gmail, for -hmm. instance. So even if it's not completely out of the box functionality available in Airtable, there is usually an integration that's readily available to kind of help you automate some of your process along. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad you were able to find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So would you say that the communications log is the one that's getting the most automated input from and in the rest of the base is more or less manual or is it, do you have other integrations running for this base as well? Yeah, we have other integrations, but the communications log is by far the most automated one and the one that is getting the most uh, use. So for our campaigns, we run a lot of, uh, we have a lot of forms. We used to use Google Forms for signing people up for like our events or our webinars, but we've switched over to Gravity Forms, which integrates well with our WordPress website. And so people fill out a form through Gravity Forms, and then that has a good Zapier integration, which then connects to, you know, this, this base. So all that information would automatically be tracked or automatically be automated through through Zapier. Yeah, and then our opportunities, uh, all of the donations and then product revenue that we receive, once it is inputted into our financial ledger in Airtable, then the Zapier would connect to this this database. And then that's how the opportunities get logged. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It just goes to show that you could have multiple different Zaps going, Mm -hmm. filling in the same base, but all from different sources. This, this particular base probably has like five or six zaps uh, connected to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you the one that kind of maintains them or is that like a shared duty just in case? I mean, once you set up a, a zap, it, it will work until something about Airtable mm-hmm. or something about Gmail changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the one who sets them all up and figures out how to do it. And then I have others who who maintain and, and update the data and you know keep keep all of our records clean. Sure. Well, yeah. because you're the systems guy. Yeah. <laughs> Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, this is great. And is this this is also on the Airtable universe as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, both bases are. Great. So if any one of our audience wanted to start with either this example that we're currently seeing, the CRM, or with the financial ledger that we looked at a little bit earlier. They're available on the Airtable universe, and I will have the links to that in the description. So another benefit of using Airtable is that you can use not only the pre-made Airtable templates, but bases made by users like yourself available on the universe so that you don't have to start from scratch. Um, It's not going to come with the zaps that have been set up, I feel like I should mention, but you you were able to figure it out how just quickly, what was that kind of process like? starting to build in, you said about five or six integrations for this base in particular. What was it like kind of learning the ropes? Yeah, before I set it up, I was doing everything manually, like updating, inputting, everything manually. And the data was just really messy because there's so much room for human error. Like I would update it in one place and forget to update it in another. And so it was just taking up too much of my time. And so I had heard about If This Then That like a while ago, but I'd never really explored it. And so I started looking around for these automating, you know, services and stumbled upon Zapier and found that it was pretty easy to set up. I mean, Zapier does a good job of 
walking you through step by step and they have some good tutorials online as well so i didn't find it too too hard i mean it's a lot of it's just trial and error as well like just sure. seeing what works what doesn't yeah yeah. So if you have, like yourself, if you have a particular use case that isn't quite covered by Airtables automations, which are at the time of this recording still a little bit new and don't have as many direct integrations available, something like Zapier or Integromat are great places to automate your base making. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Um, like I said, we'll have links to the bases in the description below. Is there anything you want to impart on our listeners before we sign off? No, I, I just think the more I've leaned into Airtable and these other productivity apps, the more efficient my work and the work of my team has become. And so I, you know, for those who are skeptical out there, I just encourage you go for it. Yeah. <laughs> vote of confidence you can do it <laughs> yeah definitely all right well thanks for being on yeah thank you so much i appreciate it thanks for watching if you enjoyed the episode be sure to give it a like or hit us up on social at built on air we always love to hear your comments and suggestions and don't forget to subscribe to catch new episodes when they release it helps us keep the podcast going <laughs>